We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Kicks for Pace, presented by the Bear Report. Your number one source for Chicago Bears draft news, analysis, scouting reports, and more. Hosted by Alex Blevin and Andrew Freeman on Overtime Media. Welcome to Picks for Pace, a Chicago Bears draft podcast presented by the Bear Report. My name is Andrew Freeman, and I'm happy to be joined by Bear Report writer, you say Koshal. You said, how are you doing today? Doing well, dude. Weather's obviously more November-like compared to what we had the first three or four days of this week in the 70s, which is obviously unusual. But yeah, I'm doing well. How are you? Doing well. Uh, you know, like you said, the weather has been fantastic the past couple of days, but I think we're going to start going to start seeing that typical uh, late fall, early winter type of weather start to uh, creep around the corner here. So uh, it's kind of that classic bear weather, so to speak. So that should be interesting to see there. Uh, so looking forward to this episode. We're recording on Wednesday, November 11th, following the Bears' third loss in a row, falling to the Titans 24-17. I know it was a one possession game uh, to conclude that, but man, it did not feel like a one possession game. Really the Bears, what happened was they did nothing on offense for three quarters. And then when the game was pretty much out of hands, they put put together a couple of garbage time touchdown drives to make it seem closer than it actually was. Uh, the offense was just, just bad. Just no way to go around it. They had a makeshift offensive line. They couldn't do anything. They couldn't run the ball. They couldn't pass the ball until garbage time. The defense, I thought, played one of their better games of the season, but it just didn't matter. You know, they needed to come up with a couple turnovers. They had a couple opportunities, but I don't think anyone could pin this on the defense whatsoever. They did everything they could to slow down the Titans, who 
have one of the better offenses in the NFL. They shut down Derrick Henry pretty well. Ryan Tannehill did not have the best day as a passer. It really just comes down to the offense, once again, being inept and just just not, nothing good to come from this thing whatsoever. Yeah, nothing good is the perfect term that I would use because, again, it's like the same theme that we saw in Los Angeles and then against the Saints at home, too. Defense is doing its part, but the offense just can't compensate. And every time the offense does quote-unquote compensate, what tends to happen is it's always in garbage time. And the one big thing that's come out of this, and it's really become a common theme since 2019, is Matt Nagy and his play calling. Now, here's the deal. In 2018, when the Bears were winning 12 games and the offense was semi-decent at moving the ball, you had Matt Nagy calling all sorts of trick plays like Santa Slay, where offensive linemen were catching touchdowns. Akeem Hicks was scoring on fullback dives and whatnot. When the Bears offense was actually functional and able to move the ball, regardless of who was under center, play calling was never the issue. But now that Nick Foles is under center, and this is a guy that has that experience in the system and the Bears are losing, everyone's kind of questioning the play calling once again. And so we saw Nagy and his presser on, I think it was Monday, talk about he didn't necessarily confirm or deny like what's up with the play calling once again, just bounced around the question, but I think it's something serious to watch because like our guy, Zach Pearson mentioned, I mean, they have one game in 20 days now because you have this Monday night game against Minnesota coming up. Then you go on a buy and then the 29th. So Thanksgiving weekend, you're playing in green Bay on Sunday night. So it's an ideal time for the bears to maybe address the play calling woes and get someone different. But like this Titans game again, Nagy was the primary play caller and we saw nothing to suggest that he should continue holding on to play calling duties. Yeah, I don't know. I go back and forth on the play calling because on one hand, I, I, I look at what Nagy's been doing with his offense this year, and there are definitely some things that I don't like that what he's doing. Um, I think for one, you know, going back to even before the season, it was pretty clear that when you look at how this offense shifted from 2018, 2019 to this year, that they really had, they took a different approach to this offense. Um, it's clear that they want to do a lot more under center stuff. They want to do a lot more outside zone run, emphasize the run a lot more this season. And the way they, you know, they address the tight end position, it was clear that they wanted that to be a heavy part of their offense because they knew that, you know, with Mitch Trubisky still as their quarterback, and now they went out and they traded for Nick Foles, and, you know, that's all well and good. But it was pretty evident early on that Mitch Trubisky was going to get one last shot. And in order to maximize Mitch Trubisky's chance in this one last shot, you had to tailor your offense to his strengths, which is his mobility, which is his ability to throw on the run, um, bootleg actions and off the play action stuff, as well as with his glaring weaknesses, which is his inability to process the field. So that's why they went to a lot more under center play action, a lot more bootlegs, a lot more just one read throws that are very easy for Trubisky to read. And it worked to a degree early on in the season, but really we, we start to saw, you know, I wouldn't even say it really worked that well because in the Lions game, they really struggled for three quarters and then they just had a miracle comeback because the Lions are the Lions and that's what they do. Uh, they really struggled for the majority of the second half in the Giants game against an average at best defense. And then the Falcons game, once again, Mitch Trubisky struggled once again in the first half. They couldn't get going offensively against one of the worst defenses in the NFL. So these problems have been bubbling up, I think, all season. And I'm going to push back a little bit on the play calling thing because, yeah, I don't think Matt Nagy's play calling is anything to write home about. I think he's definitely had struggles this year. 
you can pick apart individual play calls all day long and uh, definitely question them. You know, whoever they decide to put at play caller, I don't think it really matters that much personally. I just think they're limited. At, they're limited at two positions, quarterback and offensive line. We knew quarterback was going to be the question going to the year. We thought the offensive line would be at least a little bit better than this, but they're a bottom five unit, especially with some of the injuries they're having right now. Um, and you know, you're going to struggle when you have talent efficiencies at quarterback and offensive line, the two most important parts of your offense. And you have huge question marks about whether you have NFL caliber players on the offensive line and a quarterback that is, you know, good enough to be out there as your full-time starter. You're not going to get a good offense out of that. There's only so much you can do. So I'm not sure if changing play calling is going to be a huge difference, but I think there's one thing that Nagy needs to focus on if he were to move on from play calling is they have to figure out these little details, these execution mental errors that have been plaguing them all season long. Um, and, you know, is there a lot they can do with that with the talent that they have? I don't know. But those things are things that I think can be corrected in terms of just the basic mistakes that they're having, the false starts, the missed block assignments, the missed routes, some of those little things. And if they can, you know, if he can, if he's going to give up clay calling and focus more on that, and that helps a little bit, then I'm all for it. Personally, I think the play calling gets a little bit overblown at times. You know, you have to look at what he's working with. And right now, other than a good wide receiver room, I'm not sure there's too much to where you can maximize here. Yeah, and I think the big kind of – so I think play calling and execution, those are two things that really feed into each other because you take – and I'll use the Chiefs as an example because they're a model for what this offense – or what this offensive system should be, regardless of whether Nagy was calling it or like someone else was. The deal with the Chiefs is this is their play calls, they have great play calling first off, but then they're able to execute those play calls really well. Unfortunately, with the Bears, we've seen Nagy call some really great plays, but then the players don't do the other 50% well, which is good execution, or I'd argue even like the other 70 to 80% well, which is good execution. And that's one thing that was an issue last year. And it's been an issue this year, regardless of who's been under center. Uh, I really think that the first half of the Saints game this year was the best play call, was the best play calling and execution that I have seen. And I want to say Nagy's two and a half years with the Bears, because this is a the Saints were one of those teams. They're really tough. You know, it was going to be a battle going in. But, like, Foles came out slinging. I mean, had the quick pass to Darnell Mooney to open up the game. And then after that, went right back to Allen Robinson in space for a, uh, a quick third down conversion. Kept the chains moving. So, the thing is, that same, when we look back and we look at Matt Nagy and good play calling, great execution for this Bears team, the first half of that Saints game provides us with what they should be doing. But, unfortunately, even that is just, like, it's like too little too late because like you mentioned, I mean, the 18 points in the third quarter that they had this past weekend against, I'm sorry, the fourth quarter with 8-10 remaining in Tennessee is great. But at the end of the day, you kind of ask yourself like, all right, where was this the first like 45 minutes of the game? We need to see more of what went down in the first half of the Saints game and kind of a team coming alive late against the Titans than we did, than we've seen for the most part all year. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you on the Saints point because, you know, that was a well-called first half. And I'll even go back to the Bucks game. To me, Matt Nagy's best game as a play caller this year was a game where they had struggles offensively in that Tampa Bay Buccaneers game. You look at back at the tape of that game, 
And you'll see that the Bears, they were leaving, whether it be, you know, that fluky interception that Nick Foles threw where they tried to do that back shoulder throw to Allen Robinson that resulted in interception. Nick Foles missing Allen Robinson on a short little dinging dunk third, third down just completely overthrew him. And then a couple of plays, like you see Darnell Mooney getting wide open on a schemed up play uh, that Nick Foles overshot him there. Um, there were a bunch of plays in that game where you just saw, like, man, if they can fix some of these things there, they could have put up at least – they should have at least had 30 points in that Tampa Bay Buccaneers game. So I think the capability is there. And what we saw them do in that Saints game and the Buccaneers game was they basically, basically said, screw it, running the ball. We're not going to be able to do it. Let's do the quick passing game, RPOs, maybe a couple play action deep shots here and there. And then we'll run the ball occasionally off of that just to keep the defense honest. Let our receivers win the game for us. Let Nick Foles do his thing. I know Nick Foles, he's limited. He's not, he's a, there's a reason why he's a backup quarterback um, in the most uh, optimal position for him. But he's your starter going forward. And the best thing that you can do for him right now is to put him in a position where he's doing things that he does best, which is reading the field, getting the ball out quick, making quick decisions and just doing some of the basic quarterback things that you want for this offense. I don't think putting him in under center, you know, heavy play action outside zone runs are really what works best for him. He doesn't have the foot speed or the mobility to be able to work those type of plays. And so if there's anything for me, my biggest criticism for Nagy's play calling, it's that type of stuff. Get rid of that. It doesn't work with Nick Foles. It creates, I know it creates a couple of big plays. You can pick out a couple of big plays here and there in a play action game. But over the long term, to me, it's just way too stale. It's way too bland. And it just doesn't fit what Nick Foles does best. So if there's my biggest criticism for Nagy going forward, get rid of that. But in terms of the execution part, like you said, with the Chiefs, I mean, the reason why, why they, they were able to execute, though, you know, in many ways is because their talent is just so superior to other teams. Patrick Mahomes at quarterback, best quarterback in the NFL right now. They have a capable offensive line. I don't think it's anything special, but they have a quality NFL top half of the league offensive line to be able to run the ball and pass protect with. And then obviously they have a boatload of talent and wide receiver to be able to work off of that. So the chiefs, yes, they execute very well. And that's one of the reasons why they're so successful but they also have a ton of talent to where if Andy Reid does call a bad play call or if they don't execute quite as well on a play, they have guys that, that can make up for that and be able to do something special to where they can get themselves out of a hole that they dig for themselves. The Bears don't have that right now. They have to be perfect with their game planning. They have to be perfect, perfect with their execution. They have to be perfect in terms of uh, not committing dumb penalties, which is what we saw near the end of the first half. I mean, those two... The false start by Leno and the hands to the face by Rashad Howard back-to-back completely killed any chance of scoring on that drive. You can't have those simple mistakes. So bringing all things full circle here on the Matt Nagy play calling question, whether he gives it up or not, I'm really indifferent on the subject. I think there are some positives to giving it up, and I think there are some positives to just keeping things as they are right now because, you know, I still see – a lot of plays being left on the field by the players that need to be just executed better. But at the same time, I can understand that, you know, maybe Matt Nagy, if you can focus on getting that execution right, 
and getting things on the same page with the offense, we can see some improvements. So I don't know. There are a ton of problems on this offense. I don't think there are any easy fixes. You know, there are some things that we can look at that we can nitpick here and there to maybe uh, improve on. But overall, like you said, they have a lot of off days right now to work on it. And it's really just a matter of can they get that done, you know, with the bye week coming up and with some extra time before Minnesota. I know. And, you know, to your point about the Chiefs' talent and whatnot, I mean, it's very obvious the Bears do not have the talent level that the Chiefs do. I mean, Andy Reid spent years, they spent years kind of essentially perfecting the scheme and everything you see now is just a product of good drafting and whatnot over X number of years. But at the same time, I think we also have to keep in mind that like Nagy has been here for basically three years at this point. And when we go back and we look at the numbers, this 2020 by far is his, it's set to be the worst offense that he has put on or the, just in general, the worst offense that's going to go down in the Nagy era. So the bears, I mean, we've seen, yeah, they have some talent like a Rob, you know, they have a decent trio of wide receivers, a Rob, Anthony Miller, Darnell Mooney. I mean, you invested heavily in tight end this off season with Demetrius Harris, Jimmy Graham, Cole Komet running games, obviously been an issue. O line, you know, you're right. There's not really anyone on this O line besides James Daniels and Cody white here that should even be starting for the team in 2021. So the Bears have a lot of issues, you know, but I think that the best coaches in this league, what they end up doing is they figure out ways to work around it. And it's been very clear, like some of these issues are lingering over from last year. Nagy didn't adjust last year, and he certainly has not adjusted this year. And now you wonder, okay, you're on your essentially second full-time starting quarterback with Nick Foles. So how much longer are you going to keep this up? Because with the way things are looking right now, the Bears have to win basically five or six of their next seven if they're even going to have a chance at the playoffs. It's even possible that they end up with 10 wins but still miss the playoffs. So time is ticking for this offense to figure it out with Nick Foles. And I really think it all starts with uh, whoever – it really all starts with the head coach and him kind of making the necessary adjustments to what's supposed to be done on the field and then as to how the team goes about preparing for the games each week. Yep, they're going to have to do some self-scouting here. They're going to have to have some tough questions about themselves, and they're just going to have to figure out what works and what doesn't work and goes on from there. You know, there's really not much else that can be said about it. They have to figure this out because the defense, they're playing lights out. They're going to keep them in a lot of games. The offense doesn't have to be anything special. They just need to be passable. They need to be competent. Right now, like you alluded to, they're not that right now. They've been on decline over these past three years. We have to see them you know, pick it back up here. Otherwise, you know, the Bears are in trouble, to say the least. Um, but, you know, to go on to the topic of today's episode, though, to kind of change subjects here pretty abruptly, um, we have a pretty fun show ahead. A lot more fun than talking about the Bears offense, that's for sure. Um, just going over some new developments in the NFL draft scene. So what we're going to do is something a little bit interesting today discussing players that are seeing their draft stocks rise as well as fall this year, as well as previewing some of the upcoming weekend slate of games, some players matchups to watch out for, and as well as just go over a couple of news uh, in the NFL drafts, NFL college football uh, type of topic there. But before we get into all of that, it's time to talk about our sponsor for today's episode, MyBookie. Between the NFL and college football, there's no shortage of games to watch right now on Saturday and Sundays. 
With thousands of lines available on all your favorite sports and events, you can turn your game day into payday with MyBookie. If you're the type of guy who likes to back the big favorites, consider putting a couple in a parlay for a much bigger payout. Not only do parlays make meaningless games exciting, but more importantly, they give you a chance to turn ordinary bets into a real moneymaker. And don't forget the underdogs. They have a ton of value as well. The thing about the NFL is that underdogs are never really dogs on Sunday. Every team truly has a chance to win, and now you do too. Game spreads, championship futures, and player prop bets. It's never too late to get in on the action and start turning your sports knowledge into actual cash for your wallet. Sign up at MyBookie, and when you do, use our promo code OVERTIME to claim a deposit match dollar for dollar all the way up to 1000 bucks. It's a bonus designed to give you a little help and a head start on your winning season. That's promo code OVERTIME for you to claim your bonus when you make your deposit. Stacked UFC cards, presidential prop bets, all the major sports and more. Sign up today to begin your winning season exclusively at MyBookie. All right, you said, uh, moving on to our draft stock up section of the podcast today. Talking about the highest risers so far over the past couple of weeks in the college football season. Um, you know what? We, I think we have to talk about the highest riser probably in college football right now. And that is Zach Wilson and the quarterback out of BYU. And I, and I have to ask, is it time to put Wilson in the top three discussion? Can we talk about him, you know, with a guy like Trey Lance in that discussion for that third quarterback spot in the NFL draft next, next year? Because, Every single week, I've been kind of waiting for Zach Wilson to have a, you know, a down week to kind of, you know, poke some holes in this game and what we're, we're seeing this year, and it just hasn't happened yet. You know, he had his true, I, I'd say, first test of the season going up, going up against Boise State uh, this past weekend. Boise State is currently ranked 21st in the nation. Uh, they typically have a very strong program year in and year out. They're going to be probably the strongest team Wilson plays all year, excluding bowl season. And once again, he rose to the occasion. Uh, he went 22 for 28 in this game, 360 yards passing, three touchdowns. He made some really high-level impressive throws throughout this game. He had that one where uh, he was rolling out to the right sideline. He just flicked it with the flick of the wrist down the si right sideline um, and just hit a guy, like I think it was like 30 or 40 yards down the field. I mean, you just don't see that type of throws uh, you know, from your normal everyday NFL draft prospects in college football. Those are special throws right there. Um, and he's doing this every single week now. This isn't just a one-time thing. This is a consistent week after week type of thing with Zach Wilson. And just looking at his stats for the year, he's got a 21 to two touchdown to interception ratio this season, doing a good job of taking care of the football. You know, we kind of mentioned this in the past year in this podcast, but this is very Joe Burrow-esque in terms of his rise up the draft boards this year. And as long as he keeps playing out like this, you know, we kind of mentioned that it was a little bit, he was more of a borderline prospect in terms of being a first round talent. I don't think there's any reason to believe he won't be a first round pick at this point and maybe even a high first round pick. So, yeah, he definitely, I think, is a top three quarterback in this class. And for me, the reason I put him ahead of Trey Lance is because at the end of the day, we have to keep something in mind that NFL teams value the final season of any prospect. And that matters more so for quarterbacks. And we've seen that guys that are one year start guys 
that are typically one-year starters in this league, one or two-year starters, and Trubisky and Dwayne Haskins are prime examples of that. What tends to happen is they get to the NFL and they really falter because there's just so many deficiencies in their game. There's so many reps that a guy like Trubisky or Haskins has not taken and missed out on by declaring early. Wilson, though, this is his third year starting for or his third year rather at BYU and we're finally all seeing it come to fruition so yeah he's a top three QB for me because the final season it's big and Trey Lance is playing football this year I'm sorry Trey Lance is not playing football this year now granted that's not all his fault because of the coronavirus but the reality of the situation is that Wilson's stepping up when another guy is not able to unfortunately so Wilson's gonna be Wilson will be a top three pick I'm sorry he's a top three quarterback in this class for me Now, in terms of him being a top three pick, I don't know. Will he go top 10 for sure? Yeah, because at the end of the day, like, listen, I mean, people had this argument with Josh Allen about three years ago, too, in the 2018 draft. People were like, yeah, well, Josh Allen, he's got all these deficiencies in this game. Compound that by the fact that, well, he's played with Wyoming, which was not on the level of, like, talent that guys like Rosen or Darnold or Baker Mayfield faced. But, uh, look, teams have shown that if they believe a guy is their franchise quarterback, they will move up the draft board, shake things up, and acquire that player by any means necessary. So, Wilson right now is really experiencing, like, kind of the same criticism that Allen experienced in terms of where is he supposed to be drafted. He's going to go top 10 because his rise has been – it's been pretty meteoric. And then you add in the fact that he's done it in such an uncertain season, and you're like, okay – this kid's going to be top, you know, a, a top 10 pick come April. Yeah. You know, posing this topic on to the bears, it's very, it makes things very interesting because when I've been doing my mock drafts graphs recently, um, you know, I've always, because the bears are probably going to be in the middle of the pack for the first round, so maybe late first round area, depending on how they do the rest of this year. Um, I've always had Zach Wilson available in these mock drafts for me in the first round. It's always like an easy pick. Like, okay, if Zach Wilson falls, take him and, and, you know, let's see what happens there at the quarterback position going forward. Now I think you're in a situation to where if the Bears want Zach Wilson, I think they're going to have to be in a spot where they'd have to trade up to go get him, which makes things very interesting because there are a lot of NFL teams out there that are going to be looking for quarterbacks this offseason, especially in the draft. And it's going to be very competitive, I think, with a lot of these teams – looking to move around the draft board to try and get these guys. Because right now I think you got probably four quarterbacks you're looking at here in the first round as for sure first round picks now that Wilson is entering that discussion. And, you know, there are only so many teams that are going to be looking for a quarterback. You know that Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence are going to be going probably in the top three together, depending on how uh, the draft board kind of falls there with Panay Sewell being there as well. as a left tackle prospect, but it's going to be very interesting because you're, if you're going to be getting these quarterbacks, history has shown that you're probably going to have to trade up to go get them. And that's probably where the bears are at right now in terms of their quarterback situation for the draft. You know, I don't know if trading up is necessarily the best idea long-term in terms of giving up more draft capital, but if it fixes your quarterback position long-term gets you that franchise guy, you have to consider, I think, especially if you're a bears team that, looks just kind of rudderless right now with your quarterback situation. I mean, definitely. You mentioned the franchise QB. I think that the big thing to keep in mind is that it's not just about getting that franchise quarterback. Once you do have that franchise quarterback, what tends to happen is that is a guy that can cover up a lot of deficiencies 
for your team. Like I'll take Aaron Rodgers and the Packers, for example. After they won the Super Bowl, they went through that period where they had a lot of talent, but then you get to like 2015, 16, 17, 18, there was so many holes on the roster, but Rodgers kind of put the team on the back and really carried them. It was the same thing with Drew Brees, where in New Orleans, they went seven and nine for three straight years, but they scored because, you know, they won the seven games and had a semi-decent record. One, because they had a really explosive offense. Two, because they had a franchise quarterback who was covering up so many of their deficiencies. So I think for the Bears, you know, if you're going to get your franchise quarterback, you are going to have a lot of different holes as well. And whoever that guy is going to be is going to cover up some of those holes. But at the end of the day, you still need to have like a well-rounded roster to be able to consistently compete for championships in this league. Yeah, and speaking of quarterback, just getting to some of these other prospects now, moving on from Zach Wilson, there's been a, a couple other guys, I think, that uh, deserve some recognition in terms of rising up draft boards. Uh, you got another quarterback on your radar that looks to be maybe putting himself in the first-round conversation as well. Yeah, so Mac Jones from Alabama, and I know we've mentioned him a couple times. I think the intriguing thing with Mac Jones is that a lot of people are wondering, okay, what can he really develop into? Because you have some people who have him as quarterback four. You have some people that have him as solidified as a QB five. You have some that are comparing him to guys like Kyle Trask and whatnot, saying, well, how does he match up against them? I know last week we touched on Jones being like a tier two or tier three guy, but Jones is just so interesting for a lot of reasons, because the thing is, is that the last couple of years at Alabama, it was the Tua Tagovailoa show. Jones has burst onto the scene this year with great ball placement. He is accurate, able to just operate the offense efficiently, which quite frankly, when you look at the Bears, like I think that all we, they need out of a QB right now is to operate the offense efficiently. And then you know, a couple numbers here for you guys, but Jones has completed 78.5% of his passes and he's averaged 12.4 yards per passing attempt. And I think that in terms of like the weapons that Alabama has, you do see some of the similarities that like the Bears have because the Alabama has, you know, a couple deep threats and whatnot that just allows Jones to throw the ball up and let the playmakers do some damage after, you know, with yards after the catch and whatnot. And then the biggest thing about Jones, I'm going to say is this is that he's a guy that he knows his limitations of what he can and can't do. So he's a really smart football player. And as complicated as the system that this is, I think you do need a smart guy that's able to make all the necessary throws, which Jones can do, um, be able to operate this offense. You need someone who's smart and is able to process quickly to run this offense. Yeah, Jones just strikes me as someone that maybe doesn't have a very high ceiling. I don't think you're ever looking at a guy that could be a top 10 starting quarterback in the NFL. But for a team that's looking for a safe, maybe mid-level starter type of guy that, you know, maybe if things don't work out with him, at the very least, he can be a very quality backup for us long term. Um, Mac Jones uh, is kind of like that safe guy that I look at. You know, you look at Lawrence and Fields and those guys have huge upsides. Those are guys that you're looking at as, you know, franchise quarterbacks uh, that could be a guy that's, you know, you're looking at as a top 10 guy in the NFL. Zach Wilson, Trey Lance are kind of in the middle there. Obviously, I think both of them have the upside to be franchise quarterbacks as well. Mac Jones, I don't know if he has the upside to be a franchise quarterback, but, you know, how many franchise quarterbacks are there in the NFL right now? There's probably about eight to 10 at most. So, there's a lot of starting jobs out there um, for a lot of quarterbacks right now. And 
Uh, if Mac Jones, you know, if he has the ability to be maybe around 15 to 20, I think you take that in the late first round or maybe even early second round. So Mac Jones is a very interesting guy. I like his deep ball quite a bit. He, he knows how to just throw it with nice loft and it's a very catchable ball for their deep threats there at Alabama. So he, it's not just a situation where the talent around him is making him look good. He's helping them out as well by being a very efficient operator of the offense there at Alabama. And he's improved, I think, quite a bit from what we saw of him last year taking over for uh, Tua Tungabailoa. So uh, a lot of interesting stuff for Mac Jones there. We'll see if he can keep it up going forward to finish this season. Uh, for one guy I'm looking at who is starting to see some huge uh, jumps in, the, in draft stock right now is Quiddy Paya, edge player from Michigan. Um, to be quite frank, he's played like the best edge defender in this draft class so far this season. Um, you know, the box score doesn't necessarily uh, reflect that in terms of just like the flashy numbers. He's only got four tackles for loss and two sacks so far. So doesn't necessarily blow you away if you're just looking at the stats. But, you know, if you just watch the tape of this guy and you watch what he's been doing the offensive lines this season, I mean, he's been completely dominant out there. Uh, PFF, for instance, they have credited Peo with over 20 pressures so far this year in only three games. So he's getting after the quarterback. He's winning his one-on-one -on -one matchups. He's been an absolute terror in opposing backfields all season long. We knew he was very strong against the run going into this year. And he's just looked like a, a completely different player in terms of as a pass rusher. The explosiveness is really starting to jump off the screen for me. Uh, and, and it's doing so pretty consistently at this point. And he's a guy that's just constantly winning. Again, his one-on-one -on -one matchups and making offensive tackles look absolutely silly right now. Um, to me, going into this year, I was pretty, you know, on the fence of him, whether he was a day two guy or a day three guy. Right now, he looks like a bona fide first-round pick um, that should be going high in a, you know, relatively, I wouldn't say weak edge class, but no one has really established himself as that number one guy right now in this edge room for the 2021 NFL draft. But Paya, if he continues to play like this, man, uh, he's going to separate himself, I think, quite a bit in the pre-draft process. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think I go back to his week one game where the Michigan played Minnesota. He jumped off the screen immediately, and he took over and was the hot story coming out of that game. But Payne's a guy that I'm like, okay, going into the year, everyone had Gregory Rousseau listed as, as rusher number one in this class. But I think that Payne, if he keeps this up, he's really going to close the gap. Because, again, we have to keep in mind, like, this isn't an edge rushing class like we've had in years past. Where last year we had Chase Young as a consensus top guy. A couple of years ago we had Bradley Chubb in there too. Um, you know, and we've seen some real quality edge rushers just come out over the last couple of years. This is the first year where there's not really necessarily a home run hitter available. I mean, I know I've mentioned Micah Parsons as a guy who could – Micah Parsons is just an overall linebacker. He can line up on the edge. You can – play him at middle linebacker but the thing is is Parsons probably going to be a middle linebacker at this point in terms of who the pure edge rusher is in this class the number one guy I really think the conversation is going to be between Gregory Russo and then Quiddy Payne and there's no doubt in my mind like if Payne keeps this up he's going to have a big rise and he's going to be perhaps the most talked about defensive prospect in the spring Yeah, absolutely. And then, and then for you, who's the second guy that you're looking at here for another guy that's starting to rise up draft boards? So kind of just getting an opportunity to watch that multiple overtime game between Notre Dame and Clemson. I thought that one guy that took over 
and is continuing to establish himself would be Notre Dame's Jeremiah Owusu Karoma. I mean, look, going into the year, we knew that the top three linebackers or the top two were going to be D- Micah Parsons and Dylan Moses. Owusu has really jumped onto this jumped onto the scene here. I mean, he's developing the two, three down linebacker is great in coverage, did real well against tight ends and slot receivers. It's explosive in space too. has eight and a half tackles for a loss and one and a half sacks. And like I mentioned, I mean, a couple weeks ago, I had Michigan's Cameron McGrone as my linebacker three. I really think with the way the linebackers are playing out in this class, that Owosu is another guy that's going to jump into first strong conversation. Because when we look at the way that NFL offenses are developing, you need speedy linebackers in the middle of the field to really counter what teams are trying to do. And we've seen teams like the Bears with Roquan Smith. We've seen the Steelers with um, Devin Bush. We've seen the um, Bucks with Devin White, right? Teams that have that strong – and the Bills with Tremaine Edmonds. Teams that have that strong middle linebacker that is has tons of speed, is able to really guard anyone in coverage – those end up being some of the best defenses in this league. And I think that Owosu is another guy to really just continue to watch because he significantly helped this stock. And I think there's just so much untapped potential that we have yet to discover. Yeah, absolutely. NFL teams are always looking for those three down linebackers. Uh, we've seen with the Bears this year, Roquan Smith taking that leap of being that type of guy, the speed to be able to run all over the field and cover guys. It is a huge asset for defenses, especially the modern day NFL you need those extra coverage backers back there that can uh, basically just take out running backs to tight ends from the game plan, basically. And um, that could definitely be something that could help him get drafted a lot higher. Uh, going to my last guy, uh, going to the offensive, offensive side of the ball, I have to go with Christian Derisaw, offensive tackle out of Virginia Tech. Now, for those who would might be saying, listen to this podcast, you know, who the heck is that guy? I've never heard of him before. Uh you know, you're joining the club with me because going into this year, I had no idea who this guy was. He didn't have much hype by many draft analysts, but as we've seen the, the, the year kind of progress, you know, some people notice his tape. We start to see, um, you know, him start to rise up some draft boards. His name gets it out there a little bit. And right now you look at a lot of analysts where they're ranking him right now. He looks like a guy that could be taken on day two of this draft. Again, he wasn't on my radar going into this year at all. I knew nothing about Derisaw going into 2020. And, you know, I've tried to look at as much film as I can. There isn't a ton out there. But from what I've seen, I can definitely see the upside. And I see why many scouts and NFL teams may be intrigued by his skill set. You know, he stands at six foot five, 314 pounds. So he's a big guy. He's well-proportioned frame. He's got good length to play that left tackle spot too. We talked a lot about how length is very important in order to keep edge rushers, um, you know, going around the pocket instead of uh, just pushing the pocket forward from the edge. Uh, So he's got that length that you like to see. And he's a very natural athlete moving to the second level in the running game. He moves very well uh, laterally in terms of going, getting up the field on outside zone runs. He's got the power to be an inside zone blocker as well. So you know, pretty much every blocking scheme that you want to run in the run game, he can do it sufficiently. And, you know, again, he's an absolute beast in the run game in terms of just pushing guys over and using his physicality to maul people. So there's a lot to like about his game there. Um, The questions I have are basically in pass protection. He doesn't have a lot of tape, you know, out there for me where he's in true pass sets where he has to, you know, have proper technique. It's mostly with Virginia Tech's offense, a lot of quick sets, 
where you know he's not really uh, you know doing the traditional things that you see from a left tackle protecting the blind side in the NFL from edge rushers. So you know with the Bears needing offensive tackle help, you know whether they're they're going for a quarterback in round one and maybe get that offensive tackle later, he's definitely in to keep an eye on. But I you know I have to see how he develops that foot speed because if he doesn't have quick enough feet to be able to match athletic bendy edge rushers on the edge in the NFL uh, that might be a bit of a question mark for me in terms of do you want to invest a high pick in this guy Uh, but I definitely see the potential there and you know they're playing I believe Virginia Tech they're playing Miami this week so um, that's going to be a good test for him to be able to kind of see what he has there going up against uh, that defense as well. Yeah, Darusol is one that is just really intriguing because I feel like a lot of the bigger networks now are really beginning to catch on to this guy as a name. But sticking with offensive tackle as well as value, I'm going to stay in South Bend as well. And another guy that really kind of has me thinking because we know the Bears next year are going to have to address offensive tackle with or the offensive line with multiple picks, right? And there's obviously a couple players over the last couple of years like Ben Barcher, Ezra Cleveland, that have come out of the draft, and they have not been the greatest athletes, but uh, they are somewhat technically refined. In terms of their technique, it's refined, and they just have to sit a year before they can go on and be really solid starters. But one guy that I think that I'm falling in love with slowly would be Notre Dame's Liam Eckenberg, because that's someone that I think has all the tools necessary to flash at the uh, next level in terms of being a quality starting offensive tackle. I mean, the experience is there too, because over to between 2018 and 2019, he started a total of 26 games at left tackle, which means that by the time he does declare for the NFL draft, he'll have started about 35 games. And then the upside is really intriguing because really is a very smart player. You rarely see him getting beat. Now, I think for Eckenberg, what it's going to come down to is like value because we've seen certain players that because teams believe in them, they end up getting drafted much higher than they should, than they should. Like Isaiah Wilson went around one last year, has not played a single snap for the Tennessee Titans this year. But then at the same time, you know, you have guys like Rob Hunt too. And another guy that I thought was a good mid rounder that's developed into the best right tackle in this game is, um, Mitchell Schwartz from the Chiefs. So Eckenberg is another one of those guys that I really think right now a lot of people aren't talking about, but in terms of value, has a really solid day two grade on him with the potential to vault himself into round one, but that's going to be with a solid combine, but definitely a guy to keep an eye on for a second or third round pick. Yeah, the combine is going to be huge for Eckenberg because, you know, like you said, these Notre Dame offensive linemen, they're well coached, they're very technically sound, and the fundamentals are they just have that down. They're always going to be very consistent. You know that. Um, and that's definitely not a question with Eichenberg. The combine is going to be huge for him, though, because, you know, for me, um, you know, he's – from what I've seen, he just doesn't look like the most athletic player, but it doesn't matter for him right now because he's so good with his technique and his footwork and just keeping ba- on balance all the time. Like you said, he rarely gets beat. And he's very physical in the run game as well. So he's one of those guys that I'm not sure if he has the upside to be a elite left tackle in the NFL, but – you know what? He seems like a guy that if you're going to look at someone outside of Panay Sewell that I'm looking at as um, a safe bet to be a 10-year starter in the NFL at left tackle or right tackle. Maybe they're pretty interchangeable at this point in the NFL game. But Eichenberg, 
probably stands out as a guy that I think has the highest floor in terms of being someone that will be a quality starting tackle for you for the next eight to 10 years and can kind of settle down your offensive line as is with that. Um, so yeah, going on from our stock up players, we have some stock down players to get to as well to talk about. But before we do that, we're going to take our first break of the show with another word from our sponsor. Every day can bring changes, challenges, and opportunities that can also change your personal or business financial goals and priorities. As a true partner, Sandy Spring Bank can make it all a bit easier. Someone who really listens, understands, and then creates solutions in hard times and good times. We'll always strive to be your advocate today and every day. That's real banking for real life and real business. Visit sandyspringbank.com slash real member FDIC. And we're back here at Picks for Pace. We just went over some of our players so far this season that have really done a good job of raising their draft stock so far in the 2020 year for next season's draft. But now we have to talk about the negative side of it, which is players that have disappointed a little bit this season and may have hurt their draft stock so far. So you say, I'm going to start with you. Who's one guy you're looking at that, you know, has kind of not had the best 2020 year and maybe looking at his stock declining a little bit when we get into the pre-draft process. So it's weird because this is a guy that going well throughout the 2019 pre-draft process, had he declared and then going into 2022, I was really high on, but I have really had to change my opinion on Oklahoma State's running back Chuba Hubbard because you look at last year I mean his production was off the charts last year and there are so many people saying well this guy could be the next big dual threat weapon in the NFL like Alvin Kamara's rise a couple of years ago but I look at this class now and I realize okay the running backs are not everything that they're made out to be you have Travis Etienne from Clemson as RB1 Najee Harris who's drawn comparisons to Matt Forte's RB2 where does that leave Hubbard I mean some people have him ranked as RB3. He's right there for me, but um, anyway, the thing with him is he's a patient runner. He's really explosive, but his biggest, because he allows the blocks in front of him to develop, but his biggest issue just comes down to the fact that there's so many lapses in his pass protection. He needs to work on pass protection. He needs to work on the technique, and then his hands as well. Like, this year alone, I mean, he has just eight receptions for 52 yards, and the lack of being able to catch passes and be an asset in the passing game from Hubbard has really been something that's always been an issue for him at Oklahoma State. I think that going forward, if he wants to be a more complete player, because he's got the explosiveness component to him, he can be, you know, a guy who has, a he can be like the next Alvin Kamara in the NFL. Granted, may not be as dynamic of an athlete but he can certainly be that guy for any offense a dual threat running back but he just really needs to work on being able to you know got to work on his hands more since you just got to catch the ball more efficiently because we've seen when he gets in open space he's pretty much a threat to score anytime he has the ball in his hands yeah i mean you hit the nail on the head right there with the, the pass catching element of it you know when you're going to be drafting running backs high it's just not enough to be a good ball carrier on design runs. You have to be a weapon in the passing game with your route running, with the versatility there, getting those hands out of the backfield. You have to be efficient with your pass catching as a running back now. It's a passing league. It's going away from running backs. The running backs that we're getting see that we're seeing get paid now are not your traditional power backs. Uh, like, you know, if you're a Bears fan, going back to Jordan Howard, you're not seeing him uh, getting that second contract 
from other teams because he just doesn't offer you much outside of just being a solid downhill runner. Uh, you have to be able to catch the ball in the backfield. And blocking is, is part of that as well. You know, a lot of fans won't pay attention to that, but that's an important aspect that coaches are going to look at. Blocking is very important for these running backs in the backfield. I think one of the things that can be a positive for the Bears offense is that David Montgomery is generally a pretty good blocker in pass protection when he's actually asked to do that. So it helps your offense um, in that way, even if it's just a small detail. Those type of running backs that can help in your pass protection, a lot of coaches are going to harp on that quite a bit. So if that's something that he can't develop over this season, that might, you know, sour him a little bit for some coaches and some scouts on their draft boards going into the process. But like you said, he's got explosive running talent. I think he's a guy that is probably going to be a day two running back, as probably most running backs should be, probably in the NFL if you're looking for a lead back. But uh, he's got the ability. He has to put it all together, though, as a complete three-down player uh, to get drafted high. Um, for me, I'm going to the other side of the ball. Um, somebody that I've just been a little bit disappointed with, and that's Marvin Wilson, defensive lineman out of Florida State. Um, for anyone who's followed my work, I had Wilson as my number one defensive interior defensive lineman going into the year, and he was a top 10 prospect on my board. I loved Wilson's tape his last couple of years at Florida State. I thought he had potential game-breaking ability in the interior defensive line. Kind of reminded me a lot of Akeem Hicks in many ways. He's just a big physical presence in the middle of your defense with some pass rushing ability. Um, but he just hasn't looked at anything like that in 2020. And, and now it just sounds like he's going to be out for the rest of the year with a leg injury. So we're probably not going to see him again until the combine where he can kind of, uh, you know, kind of show off his physical tools to NFL scouts there. So this was a huge year for Wilson. He decided to come back to school. He could have left early. Uh, to prepare for the NFL draft last year. I think he would have been a first-round pick if he did, but now I'm not too sure about that. The biggest thing for him was adding that dominant pass rushing element to his game because he was already a stout run defender, and he's very good at that, at that as well right now, even with a struggling year. But, again, we just haven't seen the pass rushing game develop for him as of yet. You know, And I just wonder if he lacks that natural explosiveness that you'd like to see from a high-end interior rusher. Um, you want somebody that can get off the ball quickly, you know, push the pocket in right away and just create that instant pressure up the middle. He doesn't, he doesn't really have that. He's got pretty nice technique. Uh, he's got a nice swim move to his game that I like, a nice chop move to his game that I like. But he isn't somebody that's getting that instant push in the pocket, that instant pressure right away, like you see from some of the better interior pass rushers in the NFL, such as Aaron Donald, which, I mean, no one's going to be Aaron Donald. He's a freak of nature. But even like a guy like Chris Jones or the Kansas City Chiefs, um, you want somebody that can be explosive with that element of their game. And that's just not him. He's only had one sack this year in six games. Um, so just not the type of production you're looking for if you want to take a guy like him in the first round. I still think he's a good player. And I think he's going to have a, a productive NFL career depending on where he goes, what, what scheme he gets put in. But that star upside to justify a first-round selection – may not quite be there um, like I thought it would be. So to me, it, it probably sounds like he'll be a, end up be, he'll end up being a quality second round talent on my board when it's all said and done. And um, you know, no, I think that's a pretty fair spot to put him at this point. Doesn't mean he won't be a good player. I think he'll still be a good player in the NFL, but not quite the game breaking talent that I thought he'd be. Yeah. Marvin Wilson going into the year was actually one of my, uh, 
most intriguing prospects to watch just because I think that teams are always looking to add to their defensive line because we've seen teams that do have strong defensive lines over the last couple of years. They've seen when you have these big guys up front, what tends to happen is um, your, it makes everything on the defense so much easier. So Wilson's one of those guys that, you know, I do think right now, like you said, he is a second round talent, but for me, right. Sticking with Florida state here, the other guy that I'm looking at is safety Hamza Nasiruddin. And I'm so split on him and stocks down one because this year he's injured, but number two, the guy is a physical specimen, but with Nasir Uldin, we have to keep in mind his projections are all over the place because some people have him as safety one ahead of guys like Paris Ford and Javon Holland, both of whom are have already declared for the 2020 draft. But then some people have him as high as safety five or safety six. And I think that when you have that inconsistency, it is really hard to kind of gauge what the consensus on a player is. Now with him, the big thing is that, yeah, he imposes his will, but he's also very slow to react to the ball sometimes. And there are times where essentially like he just really gets outplayed and you do think, okay, you know what? Maybe if he was just a half a second faster, he would have been able to make a play on the ball. And then the big thing with him is this, right? The biggest red flag for me personally is that, okay, so there is a versatility aspect to his game. He's played in the box. He's played in the slot, played all over the field essentially. But I think he's going to be one of those guys that when he does get to the next level, he's going to need to have just one defined role. And I really think that that's going to be box safety for him. Yeah, and what we're seeing is that the days of your traditional box safety is kind of going away because coverage is way, 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 way more important than hitting ability in the box for when you're looking at safeties. You know, really across the NFL when it comes to these back seven players, you know, the first thing I look at personally right now is just, can this guy cover? Does this guy have instincts? Can he move? Well, is he fun- does he have that functional athleticism to be able to hold up in man coverage? Does he have the speed to play over the top as a safety or make plays sideline to sideline? Those are the things I'm looking at. You know, as much as I love a guy who's willing to, you know, get physical up in the box and make a hit from the secondary, make a big hit there, um, that is kind of going with the way that the rules are and the way the game's kind of trending. That is just not as important anymore. That Cam Chancellor, Ronnie Lott type of safety uh, isn't as important in today's NFL. You want guys that can be versatile, that can cover. So when it comes to him being picked early and you're saying that he may be just like a box guy in the NFL, that's concerning because I, I don't think box safeties are going to be picked high anymore unless you're going with an old school type of defense that wants that type of guy on their team. And we've seen guys like that not really work out in the NFL. You look at Keanu Neal, the Falcons, obviously the injuries have been the biggest factor there, but he's kind of drafted to be a box safety for the Falcons defense. And he just doesn't have the coverage ability to hold up uh, to be able to run that defense and be an effective player in the secondary for them. I look at Jonathan April for the Raiders, similar type of deal. Good box safety, hits hard, not, not afraid to be physical, not the greatest coverage player, you know, and is that really worth a first-round pick? I don't think so. You want to look for guys that can be a lot more versatile um, in their coverage ability. And, that same, and the same thing goes for my last guy here to talk about, and that's linebacker Dylan Moses. We talked about him quite a bit here from Alabama. Um, somebody that has had a lot of hype as one of the top two linebackers in this class, potential first round pick. Um, again, for me, it's another case where we were very high on this player. And I think we're still pretty high on him. 
in terms of his uh, talent level. But to me personally, just watching him this year hasn't lived up to my expectations. Uh, maybe that's on me for having too high of expectations, but I don't think I'm wrong in this one. Moses has been good, and he will still likely be a first-round pick, or at the very least, a early second-round pick somewhere in that area. But he hasn't popped the way that you'd like to see from a guy of his uh, reputation would suggest. You know, to me, just watching him play, he's not on the same level of some other highly touted uh, linebacker prospect that we've seen come, on, come into the NFL over the last five years. You know, I'm talking about Roquan Smith, Devin White, Devin Bush, Jalen Smith even. Uh, he's not been on that same level from what we've seen this year. You know, it looks like to me, his processing looks a step slow. And while he's still a very good athlete, I'm not sure he's the special athlete to where you can gamble on taking him early because uh, even with questionable instincts, uh, because, you know, some guys are just so special athletically that they can make up for questionable instincts. I'm not sure if Moses is quite on that level of a player, you know, and one guy that would uh, kind of fit that mold would be Tremaine Edmonds, uh, who the Bills took, you know, a guy that some people question whether he had the processing speed and, and instincts to be a quality NFL linebacker. He's kind of a boom or bust type of prospect. Um, he's had a down year this year, but if you were to ask me last year how it's panned out, he, he's worked out pretty well because he, he's just a freak athlete. Dylan Moses, to me, good athlete, very good athlete, not quite that level of an athlete. So he's still producing at a high level statistically. He had 46 tackles this year, five tackles for loss, got an interception in there. Personally, I, I just like to see more uh, as the season starts to hit the final stretch. I think he's got ability. I think he's still got a lot of pot potential to unlock here, but uh, he's going to have to put together from the mental aspect of things. Because I, I remember watching one game in particular against Ole Miss. I think he had 13 tackles in that game. And that looks nice. But if you look at most of them, most of them were either assisted, assisted tackles where he was coming in late to the, to the play uh, he, he wasn't the one making the play or they were all the way down the field, like 10, 15 yards down the field to where, you know, yeah, he got the tackle, but does that really make an impact on anything? He just looked, he just looked uh, indecisive with his, uh, his assignments. He looked slow processing things. And those are the things that kind of concern me with him because we know the physical ability is there. Can the mental side start, start to catch up to him? Yeah. So Moses is, you know, like I said, one of the most intriguing, I've labeled them just one of the most intriguing players in this class because I do think that if he puts together a strong second half of the season, what will happen is some team will take a chance on him. I thought that going, here's the thing, going into the draft, pre-draft process, right, going into this season, I was like, is he potentially a top, another linebacker that we could see selected in the top 10? But I think now looking at it, my expectations for him are that he is a mid to late first rounder. But my last guy actually, so staying in the, um, you know, going back to the Big Ten here, it's Michigan tight end Nick Eubanks. And I think that when I look at Eubanks, right, he's been with Michigan since I think 2015 or 2016. So he's had a long time to really establish and solidify himself into what he can be because Michigan's lost guys like Jake Butt. They've lost guys like Zach mm -hmm. Gentry. They lost a lot of just talent on the offense over the last couple of years in general. And going into the year, a lot of people, the expectations were that, okay, maybe Eubanks is the guy that can solidify himself and, and be tight end two in the Big Ten behind Penn State's Pat Freermuth because he's six foot five, two sixty. Unfortunately, we have not seen that yet. He's a decent route runner that can have an impact in the passing game. But at the end of the day, his biggest downfall comes 
he's just not physical enough physical enough as a run blocker and you kind of have to wonder as a result of that is he just going to be someone that is a uh, situational guy at the next level so there's still a couple more weeks of big 10 football left to be played i mean we've got like little over a month or about a little over a month left but you kind of wonder with eubanks like he went into the year with a lot to prove and he really has not shown any improvement because i think this year he's got like two or three receptions and that's about it so this is someone that like i look at and i'm like look if you're significantly going to raise your draft stock you have to do it now because your time is running out because i don't think that you know he's going to get to the com if he gets a combine invite I just don't foresee him being like the freakish athlete that's going to raise his stock significantly. Right now, I'd have to say he's probably like a fringe fourth or fifth round guy for me. Yeah, Eubanks was the guy that I was looking forward to watching this year. I, I think Jake Ferguson has kind of established himself. Uh, he's only played one game this year, but I think he's kind of established himself as that second tight end in the Big Ten. Uh, Eubanks getting off to a slow start, definitely going to hurt him a little bit because like you said, uh, good athlete. I'm not sure if he's a special mismatch weapon, though, in the passing game that would warrant a high selection at this point. All right. We have a couple more things to get here, get to here uh, to finish this podcast. But before we do that, we're going to take our final break of the show with another word from our sponsor. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect, there are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, America, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. And we're back here at Picks for Pace to uh, conclude this episode. So you say we have a couple of news here to talk about here for... uh, the NCAA and some of the things going on there in college football right now. So to start with some player news, uh, Tamorian Terry, wide receiver out of Florida State. You know, we talked about a little bit about Wilson and, uh, you know, some of the players over there that have struggled this season so far. Uh, Terry was a wide receiver that, uh, you know, a lot of people were high on with his athletic ability, ability to make plays after the catch is kind of like a big uh, height, weight, speed type of prospect at wide receiver. He's been dealing with a knee issue. Now it sounds like he's going to be leaving the program permanently to prepare for the NFL draft. So another Florida State high-end talent type of guy, draft prospects, leaving the program to prepare for the draft. So that's going to be something that uh, will be interesting to cover because Terry, he's a guy that I thought had a lot of talent, but just never really put together FSU. So definitely something to, to, uh, to keep note of when it comes to that and uh, when we get to the eventually the combine season and, and stuff like that. Yeah, you know, he was one guy that I was just so high on going into the uh, pre-draft process too, because I looked at like, okay, how loaded is this wide receiver class? You knew that there were going to be a couple guys here and there that were going to slip through the cracks that were going to be drafted later than they probably should have or their talent level indicates. I think Terry's one of those guys. So... I think that for a guy like you mentioned who never put it all together, yeah, he's been dealing with the knee issue. But for you to kind of leave school early, you kind of wonder, like, do you really think at that point, are you really doing like a service or a disservice to your draft stock is the big question mark for me right now surrounding Terry. Yep. And, you know, 
if he has a good combine and can have some good workouts for teams, I think he'll be okay. But uh, definitely something to monitor going forward after this season. Uh, speaking of this season, we'll move on to the SEC. So they had four games postponed this week due to COVID concerns. And those games in question are Alabama versus LSU, Texas A&M and Tennessee, Georgia versus Missouri, and then Auburn versus Mississippi State. I know for me personally, usually Alabama LSU is a great game to watch every year because there's so much NFL talent on the field. This year, I wasn't too excited to watch it with LSU just not being the same as they were, um, especially compared to last year when they had basically an entire NFL team uh, out there, it seemed like. But uh, they, they just lost a lot of talent to the draft, and obviously losing Joe Burrow hurts. But the game I was excited to watch was Texas A&M and Tennessee just, just to watch uh, Kellen Mond play. He's been having a good season. Uh, I've been trying to keep track of him. He's a guy that I look at him and uh, – you know, if you're looking for that next quarterback, we obviously we talked about the top five with Lawrence, Fields, uh, Wilson, Lance, and uh, Mac Jones, and Kyle Trax is kind of in that conversation as well. But if you're looking for somebody else in the middle rounds of the draft to kind of have some potential as maybe a developmental prospect, Mon is definitely someone that could be in play as well. I know Mon's, I think, one of the most intriguing prospects of or, I'm sorry quarterback prospects of this class because I really like what I saw from him last year and I really thought that it was good that he went back to school for another year because I realized okay you know what had he declared for the 2020 draft you likely would have seen him be a day three pick but I think now with the quality and quantity of quarterbacks that are expected to declare in 2021 Mond is still going to be like I'm basically right now pegged as like a late third rounder but again, there's a lot of quarterbacks in this class, Mon being one of them, that I think that you can take on day three, right? So you're not losing much by investing like that significant of a draft pick into them, but you can develop them into quality um, starters. Or I'm sorry, not quality starters, but like quality backups as well that can just like know your system and then end up being serviceable backups and just step in when you need them the most. Yep, I mean, day three is a perfect time to target those type of players. And he's got some arm talent as well to work with, too. So uh, definitely some intriguing stuff with Mod. We'll see if, uh, you know, once they get their games back going, how he finishes out the year. Uh, speaking of a game to watch out for this weekend, I think the biggest one uh, with the SEC not in play, it seems like, is uh, Wisconsin and Michigan. This is Wisconsin's first game back after essentially their entire football program quarantining over the past couple of weeks. Uh, they had a bunch of positive tests in their program throughout uh, after, after the game against Illinois. And, you know, I was glad to have them back um, because they have some talented players to look out for to watch as well. And um, for me, I'm, I'm looking forward to the matchup between Cole Van Lannan at left tackle against Quidi Pea. Uh, Van Lannan could be a late round offensive tack target for me in this draft. Um, you know, He's not a great athlete, but he's a good run blocker. So maybe if he doesn't work out a tackle, he, he'd work out better as a guard. But at the end of the day, you can never have too many offensive linemen. And he's available on day three. I think the Bears should be looking forward to um, picking up a guy like him who has some positional versatility. Um, but the interesting here for me is obviously I talked about Paya earlier in the episode. Um, Van Lannan, we'll see how he does against now a high-end edge rushing prospect to kind of contend with here and um, how he matches up and holds up against that because uh, that could really help his draft stock if he, if he can do a, a pretty good job of pass protection there. 
And uh, to the defensive side of the ball for Wisconsin, you know, we, we talked about Cameron Grown on Michigan quite a bit on this podcast, but if you're looking for another linebacker to keep an eye on, maybe on late day two, early day three of next year's draft, one guy that I'm going to be uh, interested in watching is Jack Sanborn on Wisconsin. Uh, he's another name to watch in this game as well. Not a spectacular athlete, but a guy that hits hard, good instincts, and uh, I'm interested to see how he does in this game as well. Yeah, that Wisconsin-Michigan game has, you know, a whole bunch of um, prospects to keep an eye on. And by the way, a little news tidbit, because I just saw this tweet on Twitter, but don't expect Wisconsin quarterback Graham Mertz to be playing because he's still in the COVID-19 protocol. So whoever there, because I know that all three of their starting quarterbacks at one point had gone down with coronavirus. So we still don't know who's going to start for Wisconsin at the QB position. And I think that that's kind of going to have an impact as to – um what happens or essentially just the result of this game. Yeah. Graham Mertz is a guy that I'm really excited to watch over these next couple of years. Obviously he's a, he's a few years away from being a guy to look out for in the NFL draft, but uh, definitely uh, unfortunate that he won't be out there to play this upcoming weekend. Uh, so with that, we're going to conclude this episode of picks for pace. Uh, make sure to follow us on Twitter at our handle at picks for pace. So uh, you say where can they follow you on Twitter? Yeah, guys, you can follow me on Twitter and read my work on the Bear Report at Usaid Koshal. I pretty much always tweeting some stuff about the NFL or college football. So interact with me anytime, and I'll be happy to respond back to you guys. Yeah, and you can follow me at AJ Freeman 25 and also find my work at the Bear Report. Uh, keep an eye out this week. Uh, I've done some uh, video projects in the past for the Bear Report, and uh, I won't spoil what the subject is but i think a lot of bears fans you know with how things have gone this past season over the past three games in the offense i think they can use a little bit of positivity right now so uh i won't spoil what the exact subject is but i think a lot of bears fans uh will like this upcoming video that i'll be working on coming up shortly so i want to thank our listeners again for tuning in on all platforms uh we got a big game coming up here for the bears as they play the vikings on monday night football so Hopefully we get to see a win going into the bye week. That would be something that would, you know, put a little bit of a better taste in our mouths, I think, for all of us as Bears fans. And certainly for us here uh, at the Picks for Pace podcast when we record next week. Have a great weekend, everyone. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. reported three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.